Wonderful. Well, let's, um, should we just pray quickly as we dig into this? There's some wonderful, I heard, short but challenging, as I stood on the stage uh, a minute ago. This is a short but challenging passage that we've got to unpack today. So why don't we just pray uh, for the Lord's wisdom and his spirit to come and help us as we do that. Father, we, um, Lord, we just want to open ourselves up to you now. And uh, Lord, we come and we ask that you breathe your life in us afresh today. Would you let your word uh, like, take root in our hearts and Lord, move us more and more into your likeness. I pray lead us through this passage today. Your heart for us as a church. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wonderful. So, um, we've been going through this letter, this, um, which is Romans um, in the New Testament. So this letter which the Apostle Paul, one of the kind of earliest members of the early church, wrote to this church in Rome. And he's writing this letter, and he's laying out to them uh, in, the, in this letter some of the most wonderful truths about who Jesus is, about what Jesus has done, and about what difference that makes in our lives uh, today. And Romans 12 the sort of chapter that we're working our way through today is like the, the, the like, this is what it looks like. This is what all this stuff, all this amazing teaching, everything I've been explaining to you, this is what it looks like with flesh on if you actually start living it out in your community. And, um, and he's trying to get this church to be a community that are growing together around Jesus in the light of the gospel and in the power of the Holy Spirit. You get that? He wants them to grow together in the light of the gospel around Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we still want to do today, isn't it? We want to be a church that's growing together as a community, that's growing, that's like becoming more and more knitted to one another, love one another with increasing, you know, uh, heart and feeling and emotion and depth. But we also want to want to be gathered around Jesus in the light of the gospel, doing that in the power of the Spirit. So. Here we have, in this little passage that we've read today, some further instructions on how we can live as, God, as God's people in God's way. And some of what we're kind of unpicking in, in, this, uh, in this passage, that um, some of this stuff isn't just going to happen in our lives if we just carry on existing, doing our everyday normal stuff. It's not just going to happen. In order for it to happen, for some of this stuff to actually take root in our lives, we're going to have to make some intentional, very intentional choices and take hold of our lives in a very real way if we want to live some of this stuff out. Take that um, the start of that verse, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That doesn't naturally come out of me when I'm being persecuted. I, I had a, uh, an experience a little while ago where I was in um, the blessed Argos. <laughs> love Argos. Love looking through that catalogue. You know, it's been part of my childhood looking through that catalogue. And uh, but when I go into the shop, I don't love it as much. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. There I am in Argos trying to find one of those little pencils and hold it. You know, it's difficult enough. Find that little form that you have to fill out with the number from the catalogue, and the catalogue's ordered differently to the way it was at home, which you've had memorised since you were 12, you know? It, it's hard to find what you're looking for, and eventually you find the code, you write the code in, you go to the till, you hand it over, you, you part with your money, or you, you know, tap your card or whatever, and then suddenly you're in ownership of this product. But you don't have it yet, do you? There's this moment where they give you the receipt, and they say, now go and wait over there on that seat by this collection counter 
and watch the screen until your magic number appears. And then you can go and get your stuff. And so my, the last time I went, I, I went and sat in one of these chairs, I did what I was told, collection point B, waiting for my thing, 184, or whatever it was, you know, to come up on the screen. And, then, and it tells you, you know, we're looking for it, we're sorting it, you know, that, that, whatever that, that, that line is. And you can see people in the distance, behind the shelving, who were moving around with boxes, and occasionally something appears on the shelves. But in this case, there was no one between the shelf and the counter. So I'm waiting there for my thing, and about 10 minutes goes past, nothing happens. I'm seeing all these people moving, moving around, and suddenly my kettle appears, and it's placed on the shelf. And I'm looking at my kettle, and I'm thinking, I own that. I own that kettle, I've paid for it, but there is no one to bring the kettle to me and make this, you know, like this final transaction actually take place. And I'm waiting there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching more and more people go, you know, in the end I'm getting really annoyed. I'm like, this is my day, it's disappearing here. You know, as I wait for this, for this thing, I'm, I'm getting uh, uh, like more and more worked up. And something, I, I just, something came over me and I just call out to the people behind and I say, excuse me, could anyone just come and, that's my kettle, you know? <laughs> Can anyone just come and give me my kettle and I'll go, you know? And uh, they sort of turn around and someone just yelled back at me, it's not my job, you know? <laughs> and then, and then, the truth is, church, <laughs> frustration starts to creep into a little bit of anger. I set aside Matthew chapter 5, you know, our friend's favourite verse, you know, but I tell you, whoever is angry with their brother and sister will be subject to judgment. I set aside that, and under my breath, I utter the words, moron. <laughs> and so the truth is, you know, sometimes what naturally comes out of us, and what naturally comes out of me, as I confess, is not the kind of gospel life that God has called me to, to live out. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in here who's had problems in Argos and other places too. But if your heart is, is like mine, there's a longing actually in my heart that actually that, that kind of thing doesn't happen. That somehow, in that moment of frustration, of anger, of feeling like forgotten or whatever, it's my kettle, you know, there's something else that comes out of me more in line with the character of Jesus Christ. At the start of chapter 12, Paul writes to the church, he says, Be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. There is a call to live out this Christian life, but it, it needs, it requires transformation and the renewing of our, of our minds. And these verses that we've read today, they paint more of a picture of what it looks like to be a community with a renewed mind that, that's being transformed. And as I, as I sort, of, really sort of feed on the word of God, on the gospel, my life becomes, through the power of the Holy Spirit, my life becomes more and more a gospel life. My reactions to moments like that are more and more of a gospel reaction. What comes out of me in every situation is the aroma of Christ or the fragrance of the gospel. We had friends uh, when I was growing up, they had two small dogs. And uh, when they came home from church one week, uh, one of the dogs uh, was tearing up a Bible on the floor in front of the front door, you know, quite like rabbit, they were just like ripping it up. And they were obviously a bit shocked just to open the door and see this dog just tearing up this Bible. And the dad, who was a bit of a, a like, who's a dramatic guy, you know, his first reaction was, the dog is possessed by a demon. 
let's kill it, you know. Uh, and the mums, who was just this wonderful, graceful, God-loving lady, said, no, oh, how sweet. He's feeding on the word of God. <laughs> and uh, the dog lived to see another day. Um, but this whole chapter of Romans 12 is, it's about, it's about, if we were able to ingest the gospel, if we were able to actually like eat up the pages, what it would look like if it was pouring out of our lives through the power of the Spirit. If we could actually eat it up, what would it look like? So I just want to pick out four quick things, okay, from the from the things that we've uh, that we've kind of looked at today. First of all, uh, in verse 14, it's bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. This is all about speaking God's words, okay, speaking gospel words. The word that's used here, the Greek for bless, is the Greek word eulogeia, which means to speak well of. To speak well of. It's all about what, how you speak, what you do with your words in response to someone who's persecuting you. There is, isn't there, we, we kind of know it, a, a spiritual dynamic to our words, to what we say out loud. There's a spiritual aspect to those things. There's power, isn't there, in our words, what we say. When I first met Tabby, she was the, the leader of a youth group in Bristol. And Tabby had been teaching her youth group about the power of their words and about speaking negatively over themselves. You know, young people often might carry that sense of, I'm not good at this, or I'm rubbish, or, you know, this. And um, anyway, so I was having a chat with Tabby and a few of the young people one Friday night, and I said something along those lines, like, oh, I'm not a very good theologian, or I'm not very good at this or that. And two of the young people came up to me, and they just brushed my shoulder. One there, but they just brushed, and I was like, "What are you? What are you doing?" And then they said, "We'll just brush that off you, Bob. Come on. We'll just brush that off you." And Tabby had coached these young people that when they heard uh, negative words spoken over someone, they'd just brush them off, just be like, "No, no, we're not having that sit on your shoulders. We don't want this." Because words have power, don't they? Proverbs 18 tells us the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs 12 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's power, isn't it? James chapter 3 says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small part, a small spark. And he goes on to say, with the tongue, we can praise our Lord and Father, and with it we can curse human beings who've been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. This is my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? But it's challenging, isn't it, to live this out? To bless and speak well of those who persecute us. But Jesus tells us to do it too. Matthew 5. You've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. It's a characteristic 
of God's children that we would pray for those who persecute us. It's part of what is now in us if we have asked Jesus to be our Lord and Saviour and God our Father. That as his children, a characteristic is that we bless people when they persecute us. In the past, when I've thought about this verse, I've kind of remembered it. I don't know, like my mum or dad would have said to me, like if someone calls you a rude word, you know, just don't say anything back. You know, if you haven't got anything nice to say, don't call them one back. Like a piece of good advice or from a teacher or my, or my mum and dad. And, and, I, and it's kind of sometimes what I remember the heart of this verse being about. If someone's nasty to you, they persecute you, if something happens to you, just leave it there. Don't, don't do anything back. But, but when you look at what this verse means, it doesn't call us to be unresponsive. It, it, it calls us to, to move in some way toward them, to bless them. What does it, what does it mean to bless? <coughs> what does it mean? Well, in the Bible, well, we use it in lots of different ways, don't we? We, we use it in, in, in when someone sneezes, we say, I'll oh, bless you. We use it when the children do something cute, we say, oh, bless. You know, or... And we might respond to someone's kindness or generosity and say, bless you, you know, bless you, thank you. We might bless a meal before eating it or as we pray in the morning or ask God to bless a business meeting or a university presentation that we're doing or family members that day. But in the scriptures, human beings are blessed by God and essentially that takes the form, firstly, of connection and relationship with God himself. So blessing is connection and relationship with God himself. When God blesses something, that's at the heart of what you get. Connection and relationship with God himself. The height, the very pinnacle of God's blessing is connection and relationship with him. And secondly, God's blessing is about flourishing and multiplication of life. So when God creates the animals in Genesis, he says he blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. So when we ask God to bless someone who is persecuting us, what we're asking for, okay, get this, is for God to reveal himself to them and draw them into relationship with him and for godly fruitfulness and the multiplication of God-breathed life to flow into that person's life. When you pray, when you pray, you ask God, would you bless that person who is persecuting me in some way? You are praying something for them which will eradicate some of the bad that you're experiencing. It's good stuff. It's like, it's praying that God, for God to move with such loving force and goodness that persecution becomes the last thing they ever want to do again. On the other hand, if we curse, cursing being the opposite of blessing, what we're asking, or what we're wishing, or implying we want for that person, is a disconnection from the truth and from God. It's about failure and upset and disappointment coming to their lives. And what we know is that God's heart and his sacrifice on the cross includes that person, doesn't it? 
Yeah. Paul's writing this initially to the church family. Okay, so we we want to use, we want to take this from our for our church family, but extend it further out as well, don't we? But he's writing for the church family. Sat next to you, or sat across the room from you, might be someone who you feel persecuted by, or you know is uh, your is your enemy in some way. But you know that God has died, has sent Jesus for them. Jesus died for them. You know, Jesus died for the people who are persecuting him, didn't he? And he's asking us to pray for the people who are persecuting us. But get this, I, I, I love reading and trying to understand more of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was an amazing theologian around in the 1940s. He wrote this in a book, um, I think it's going to come up on the screen behind us, here we go. Yeah, a Christian fellowship, that's like us here, right, family, lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray. No matter how much trouble he causes me, his face that hitherto might have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. Isn't that amazing? That first line, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. Isn't that a challenge when you read that? It's a challenge for me. Think, how much am I praying for my brothers and sisters in this church? How, much is, how high is that on my agenda? Jesus sets the bar so high, doesn't he? During his crucifixion, he is praying for those who are driving the nails through his hands. Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do. Bless those who persecute you. It's lived out on the cross. Next time someone upsets you, persecutes you, or makes your life difficult because of your faith in Jesus or some other reason, ask God to bless them. Ask God to bless them. Pray God bless that person. Jesus is praying for that person, we're told in Scripture already. Interceding at the right hand of the Father. And when we do, we join him there. We join with Christ if we pray and we bless those who persecute us. So, there we go. First bit. So that's the longest point I, I, I want to make. Okay, speaking gospel words. Number two. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. This is all about being a gospel presence. So we talked about speaking gospel words. It's about being a gospel presence. So Jesus shows us in the Gospels how to do this. You know, when you look at his first miracle in, um, in John, in the book of John, uh, Jesus arrives at this party, doesn't he? And he arrives at this party with this wedding party, and the wedding party's run out of wine. You know, and what does Jesus do in that moment? His mum comes up to him and she's like, come on, you've got to do something. You know, Jesus is like, no, no, it's not my time yet. And then his mum just turns to the servant and says, just do what he tells you. Do what he tells you. And Jesus provides, you know, I think some people like, I think it's like something like 2,000 bottles, best wine ever made, you know, from this party. You know, rejoice with those who rejoice. Jesus is there. He's part of it. He wants to celebrate with these people and enable them not, you know, not to be embarrassed by running out of wine. But also, he wants the party to continue. 
You know, it's like, yeah, come on. I want to be with these people who are celebrating this wonderful thing of being married. The party has started with Jesus. And then, you see, in, in another place in the Gospel, Jesus with Mary and Martha after Lazarus has died, and he's with them weeping that their brother's died, even though he knows he's going to raise this guy from the dead. But Jesus is with them. He's with them. He's, he's, a gospel, he's the gospel presence. You know, he's not hopping from one friend who's really sad to another who's really happy, trying to force his emotions. He's with them, truly, in that moment. And being a gospel presence is about, it's about entering into other people's life. It's about entering into the highs and the lows and everything in between with them. You know, the rejoicing and the mourning, everything in between. It's about entering in, being present in people's lives with them. John's Gospel starts off with these famous words in verse 14. The Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. That, and that's the model that we are called to as his people, to be a Gospel presence, to dwell among each other, to be a presence with one another. Whether we're mourning, whether we're rejoicing, or everything in between, to be with one another. And fulfilling this instruction, it means, it means being able to get, we need to get out of our own circumstances sometimes, to take our eyes off ourselves, off where we are, off what's going on <coughs> in our own lives, and to look at someone else, and look at where they truly are, and what's going on in their lives, and to be with them in that moment, to be present, a gospel presence in that moment. Sometimes that will mean, you know, you've had, you're having a bad day, but someone else is rejoicing, something wonderful has happened. And you can put that stuff aside for a minute and rejoice with them without any bitterness or, you know, anger that they're having a great day and you're not. Some days, some days you're having a bad day, yeah, a good day. Someone else having a bad one. But you can put that aside for a minute. You can be with them in their pain. Be really with them. You know, in our busy lives, that's such a challenge, isn't it? To really do that, to really live that out as a community. But this is what Paul's saying. If you eat the gospel, this is what comes out. You're a gospel presence. You can be and dwell with one another in the highs and the lows of life and everything in between. Now he's writing to this community um, and uh, he's writing to them and, and in the midst of quite a lot of turmoil, there's quite a lot of like, uh, of, you know, conflict in their community. And, um, and he's, he's trying to get them to see that there are more important things um, that there's a way to take their eyes off their own, the, where, they, where they're at, and be with one another. Have you ever heard that phrase that people don't know, people, sorry, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? So to be a gospel presence in the rejoicing of life and the mourning of life means we've got to deeply care for one another, to be connected to one another. There's a challenge in there for all of us. Can we do that with one, with one another? Can we take the caring, the dwelling, the being with one another to another level? Let's think about how we can do that. Right, number three. Live in harmony with one another, verse 16. This is about uniting in gospel priorities. Uniting in gospel priorities. It says live in harmony, literally means in the Greek, be of the same mind. Think the same way as each other. So the church in Rome was filled with, with people uh, with all different ideas and theological differences. 
in the church in Rome, there were some Jewish Christians who were really proud of their favoured status, having a heritage as God's people. But there were also Gentile Christians who were proud of the freedom in the law, uh, in a law-free gospel. So you had these two groups, one with this heritage of being God's people, and one who'd experienced this freedom of a law-free gospel. And they're having, they're having moments of conflict in the church. And so Paul was addressing the, like, the theological infighting that's arising out of these two different camps. And, and, you know, and he's saying, put aside your differences, put aside your theological differences, and unite in the gospel, in the priority of the gospel. You know, today, we, we can find ourselves, can't we, in, in a church where we can have different ideas about things theologically. Calvinism, Armenianism, infant baptism, believer baptism, immersion as you are baptised, sprinkling, pouring, dunking in the sea. You know, your view of communion, is it real presence, spiritual presence, is it just a memorial, your view of ethics. We can all have loads of different ideas about the way we think the gospel plays out in our lives. But what we have to do as a community who've eaten up the gospel and who want to live it out is we have to set aside those things sometimes to concentrate on the priorities of the gospel, unite in the gospel. We peel back the layers of each other and see what's really there. Hopefully we find that we love God, we really love Jesus, and that we love other people. That's our heart's desire, to live out the golden rule, that you know, those two commands. To love God with all our heart, soul, strength and mind, to love people like we do ourselves. If that comes first, if that's our priority, the gospel priority, then the rest we can work through. But we, we gather around, we hold together around the central part of our faith. So we're going to hang on to it together. We're not going to let divisions creep in because of differences in opinion. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I quoted earlier, said this, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. Isn't that a great idea? So we want to unite with a gospel priority. And then lastly, we are called in these verses, it says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And this is all about seeing the gospel value. This is all about seeing people as they really are. Have you ever wondered um, if, if um, Jesus walked into this gathering today, who he would sit next to? Have a look around. Where would Jesus put himself in this gathering? You know, maybe he'd look at the name engraved on his hand, and he'd see your name there, and he'd say, okay, I'll go and sit next to this person. Your name engraved on his hand, he comes sit next to you because he loves you that much. But, but if Jesus wasn't sitting next to you, where would he be? Well, I think, when I think about this question, I think he'd be next to the person who feels like they're sat here today and feels like they're not good enough to be here, or that they don't belong, for whatever reason. The person who feels out of place, who feels alone, or unworthy, disappointed in where they're at, 
I think you'd find Jesus right there, sat next to them, looking for people like that. The first church that I ever worked for um, in Chorleywood, where, where I grew up, um, I was a fresh-faced youth pastor. And I remember having this conversation with the vicar there, he was an amazing guy. And, uh, and I said to him, hey Gavin, I wondered uh, why we don't have a welcome team in this church. I've been to a few other churches, it seems to work pretty well. You get a welcome when you come through the door and you know, it's a great idea. It makes us look a little bit more slick and all that kind of stuff. I remember him coming back at me and he said, he said, Bob, we don't have a welcome team here because if we have a welcome team, everyone else presumes that it's the welcome team's job to say hi to anyone new or people uh, who they don't recognize. It stops everyone thinking that it's their responsibility to say hi to new people and make them feel welcome. You know, and I don't know if that's totally true for us, but I know that there are days where I leave that job to the welcome team and I don't actively look around the room and think, who's on their own here? Who can I draw into this community? Who can I help? Who can I help just take a step further to belonging here? You know? and, and if we're living out this gospel life, if we're seeing with gospel value, then in the midst of all the chaos of like this, sometimes these gatherings, you know, kids running around and responsibilities for this and that, doing a job here and there and there, we've got to find a moment just to get our heads up and have a look. Who's on their own? Who can we draw in? Who can we make feel welcome? I, I used to, um, so often hear um, people who would say, you know, um, that they're coming to church and they're like, oh, I'm really looking forward to the worship tonight. Adam and Rich leading my yeah. <laughs> Really looking forward to the worship. I can't wait to sing that new song, or I can't wait to hear Joe Soper preach another banger, you know, or I, you know, I can't wait for church day. But I never heard anyone say, I'm here tonight. I'm excited to be here tonight to help someone on the edge feel more at home. I'm excited to help someone integrate to this community and know they've got a place. Or I'm excited by the worship and the teaching and everything else, but I think Jesus has called me to find the person who came in on their own and needs something of his embrace for them tonight. And I used to say to my youth group back in Watford that there are no lonely people in heaven. There are no lonely people in heaven. And if we want to be the church, we're all about on earth as in heaven, then we could, we could do some more to make that less of an issue here, couldn't we? We could, go, we could go another step, just another step. Each of us go another step. And we'll have a little bit more of a view <coughs> of people, you know, different people, different to us, all kinds of people. We'll see with gospel value. So, let's remember... The, uh, tonight, this gospel community stuff, it, it doesn't just happen. It takes each one of us. We've got to want it. We've got to be part of it. We've got to start doing it when others aren't doing it. And we've got to be asking God as we gather and as we go, please, Father, on earth as in heaven, through me today. Somehow, through me. On earth as in heaven, through me today. <coughs> Amen? Amen. Amen. Wonderful. All right. Why don't we pray together? Can I ask you to stand? Is that all right? You're able. <coughs> and hopefully I, you picked up that I, I kept saying 
hopefully throughout the talk, that um, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live this life, this gospel life, isn't it? And um, so why don't we just ask for a minute for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh, that we can do that, that we can live this life, this gospel life.